0: Turn it in your Bibles, if you will, then to Hebrews chapter ten, and we'll just continue our, our study as we've been looking through. Uh, once again, just the whole import of this book is just the the the, the wonder, the greatness, the magnificence of Jesus. That Jesus is greater uh, and better than all of the things that we've seen listed that He's been compared to. Uh, and in a sense, there is no comparison. Uh, I'm going to read as I've done through. This Jewish New Testament, this uh, um, translation, paraphrase, um, which is written very much from a Jewish perspective. And again, there's some useful things in here. If you follow through in your Bibles, and then we'll go back and we'll look verse by verse through this study. So in uh, verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10. For the Torah has it in a shadow of the good things to come, but not the actual manifestation of the originals. Therefore it can never, by means of the same sacrifices, Repeated endlessly year after year, bring to the goal those who approach the holy place to offer them. Otherwise, wouldn't the offering of those sacrifices have ceased? For if the people performing the service had been cleansed once and for all, they would no longer have sins on their conscience. No, it is quite the contrary. In these sacrifices is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats. Should take away sins. That is why, on coming into the world, he says, It has not been your will to have an animal sacrifice and a meal offering. Rather, you have prepared for me a body. No, you have not been pleased with burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, Look, in the scroll of the book it is written about me, I have come to do your will. In saying first, you neither willed nor were pleased with animal sacrifices, meal offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, things which are offered in accordance with the Torah, and then, look, I have come to do your will, he takes away the first system in order to set up the second. It is in connection with this will that we have been separated for God and made holy once and for all through the offering of Yeshua, the Messiah's body. Now every cohen or every priest stands every day doing his service, offering over and over the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this one, after he had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. From then on to wait until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he is brought to the goal for all time, those who are being set apart for god and made holy and the ruach hakodesh the holy spirit too, bears witness to us for after saying this is the covenant which i will make with them after those days says adonai i will put my torah on their hearts and write it on their minds he then adds and their sins and their wickedness i will remember no more now where there is forgiveness for these an offering for sins is no longer needed. So brothers, we have confidence to use the way into the holiest place opened by the blood of Yeshua, he inaugurated it for us as a new and living way through the parakeet, that's in the Hebrew now, that's speaking of the, the curtain that the curtain that was rent by means of his flesh. We also have a great priest over God's household. Therefore, let us approach the holiest place with a sincere heart in the full assurance that comes from trusting with our hearts sprinkled clean from a bad conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us continue holding fast to the hope we acknowledge without wavering for the one who made the promise is trustworthy and let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds, not neglecting as Uh, not neglecting our own congregational meetings, as some have made a practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other. And let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we deliberately continue to sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice to sins, but only the terrifying prospect of judgment, of raging fire that will consume the enemies. Someone who disregards the Torah... Of Moses is put to death without mercy on the word of two or three witnesses. Think how much worse will be the punishment deserved by someone who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has treated as something common the blood of the covenant which made him holy, and who has insulted the Spirit, giver of God's grace. For the one we know is the one who said, Vengeance is my responsibility, I will repay and then said adonai will judge his people it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living god but remember the earlier days when after you had received the lights you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes you were publicly disgraced and persecuted while at other times you stood loyally by those who were treated this way for you shared the sufferings of those who had been put in prison also when your possessions possessions were seized you accepted it gladly, since you knew that what you possessed was better and would last forever. So don't throw away that courage of yours, which carries with it such a great reward. For you need to hold out, so that by having done what God wills, you may receive what he has promised. For there is so, so little time. The coming one will indeed come. He will not delay. But the person who is righteous will live his life by trusting and if he shrinks back i will not be pleased with him however we are not the kind who shrink back and are destroyed on the contrary we keep trusting and thus preserve our lives okay let's just uh bow our hearts let's just pray as we enter into this this time of study shall we father we just ask now uh, lord just for your blessing uh, we ask lord that you just give us wisdom as we turn to these verses help us to understand Lord, what the writer intended us to, to understand, how he intended us to be stirred and uh, challenged by these things. Lord, how your Holy Spirit would apply them to our lives. Um, so, Father, we just give you this time. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. Uh, Lord, the way that we can meet as we do. Uh, Father, we just, again, just ask that you open our understanding that we would grow together this morning in knowledge and grace. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, this is just a, an incredible chapter. Building very much on the things we've already looked at um, the the last few chapters, really speaking of Jesus as this great high priest, comparing him with uh, the Aaronic priesthood uh, and showing that he was better, he was greater than all those things. Again, looking at uh, the temple or the tabernacle as it was made and how everything in the tabernacle uh, was there pointing towards Jesus. Every article, every artifact that was there that was built in some way or another spoke of Jesus Christ. And we've seen in the last chapter how Jesus is created all these things. In verse 14 of chapter 9, it says, How much the more shall the blood of Christ, comparing it to the sacrifices that have been offered, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And that's very much the, uh, the springboard that we have now going into this chapter. Uh, again, it's that idea of the, the fact that those sacrifices under the law could never purge the conscience. And so going into chapter 10 we start there for the law having a shadow of good things. Now if you remember we spoke uh, last week we were talking about the way that uh, the law that had been given to Moses on Mount Sinai was actually uh, a a model in the sense the, the the tabernacle and the things for the tabernacle were all just a model of what already existed in heaven. And this is Again, what, what the writer of the Hebrews is trying to show us, that, that everything we have up until Jesus was just a, a, an anticipatory type. Something looking forward to him, to what he would do, what he would accomplish. And so we start again by this, the Lord is, is just a shadow. I mean, if you think about a shadow, you know, where, when you're out, the sun's shining and you have a shadow. I mean, I, I can see I'm looking out, I can see through the window here as I look out. Uh, and I can see from the vehicles, I can see the shadow of the vehicles being cast across the road. Well, the, the I mean, the shadow is nothing compared to the vehicle. Okay, that's the kind of concept. That's the, the comparison we have here. The shadow that we have in the the tabernacle and all those things that were under the law, that's all they were. They were just a shadow. They can't represent fully just the wonder of Jesus. A shadow is just this, this flat thing that sits on the ground. You can't move it. You can't do anything with it. Compared to the real thing that casts the shadow, which is three-dimensional, which is just so infinitely more complex and greater. That's the kind of comparison that we should be thinking about. With all those things that we've had, and you explained to us in uh, Exodus, we were looking at, we talked last time about that portion at the end of Exodus, most detailed portion of scripture in terms of any subject that's addressed. Uh, and that compared to Christ, Christ is better and greater. And it says they're not the very image of things now we've told again that expression about the image jesus is the uh, image we read in the opening chapter of hebrews um that uh, he being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person okay so the the tabernacle doesn't have that capacity to be an image uh, of jesus in that sense but jesus is an image of the father uh, and you see this kind of comparison so again um not the very image of things and can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect now it's not saying uh that once we come to christ we are perfect but we are perfected in as much as that we are then in christ god looks at us he looks at our um or the sin that was in our lives previously uh, as all being wiped clean uh, this is the wonder of the, the gospel of grace. And we used that example the other week of you know, thinking about projecting up on the screen the, the thoughts and, and deeds and everything of our past week alone. You know, it would be a terrifying thought to us. Um, and yet, if that were to happen, when it's projected, there would be nothing to show because it's all been washed in the blood of Christ. Uh, and this is the, the point that's being addressed here. that The blood of the, the uh, bulls and the goats could never purge the conscience. Um, and we go into verse two for them would they have not had ceased to be offered so if those offerings under the law could have made us perfect well they would have been carried on but but because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins but in those sacrifices there is remembrance made of sins every year you know under the the law there was the daily offerings that had to be brought there were various offerings uh, that the children of Israel had to bring we'll talk about some of those in a short while every year there was Yom Kippur the day of atonement and it was just a reminder you know so you'd go you'd offer your offering for whatever sin but next year you'd come back and you'd be reminded of all the previous years that you would brought those offerings all those times that you came and in a sense a little bit like we do with that intention to this time I'm going to get it right and yet for the children of Israel there was a continual reminder that actually a year on they still had not got it right uh, and they were still struggling with the things they were struggling with, They're still having problems with sin and so on. And although they were bringing their various offerings, their sin offering, their trespass offering, and these things, and no doubt real sincerity in their hearts, particularly as they are offering these animals, their blood is being shed. They're being brought face to face with the, the the horror and the cost of sin. There must have been that uh, real sense of uh, remorse and repentance as they walked away from the tabernacle i mean it's in a sense it's easy for us sometimes to to pray to ask forgiveness and we sometimes don't think about the great cost of what jesus accomplished but just imagine what it would have been like for those jews in the wilderness going up to the tabernacle taking with them an animal knowing that the animal this animal that they were leading that they their hands were being laid on the priest's hands were being laid on the blood of that animal was being shed for them that would have really hit home that have that have impacted us You know, and some of these animals sometimes that have been part of the the family livestock, part of what they had uh, and things. So there have been almost a personal attachment to some of these animals and to go and to bring it an offering would have been painful. But it was that reminder. But the point that the writer of the Hebrews is making is that every year it brings up the memory of those things again. Very hard. Verse 4 again, so it says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Verse 5, Wherefore he comes into the world, or when he cometh into the world, he saith, and this is speaking of Jesus, who he was born, obviously God, through Mary brought Jesus into the world in a physical form in a physical body, sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body that thou hast prepared for me. You know, it's interesting that bulls and goats were never willing participants. But, of course, God prepared a body for Jesus so that he would be a willing participant, that he had to come in a physical form to offer his blood, his life, um, so that we could be washed, we could be cleansed, that the price for rebellion against God would be met and paid for. So, uh, in verse 6 again, in burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin, thou hast no pleasure. This isn't something that God desires. Uh, you know, we see so much of this through scripture. There's many verses that, that allude to this, that God is not asking for these sacrifices of blood and so on. What he's looking for is our hearts. Of course, it ultimately took the death of Jesus to make a way for that relationship to be restored. But God is looking for our hearts. And verse 8 and above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou would not neither had thou pleasure therein which are offered by the law now verse 9 just says then said he lo i come to do thy will now what the writer is doing is putting these scriptures together and showing that jesus came in a body and he came to do god's will and that implies that is what is being said here that what existed already wasn't sufficient that actually the, the law uh, offerings of the sacrifices under the law were not sufficient to pay the price of sins, which is the point he's just been making. Now, just a, a quick um, look back. This is what we mentioned uh, last week at the, the meeting place, the Holy of Holies, the, the temple uh, or the tabernacle as it was in the wilderness uh, with the various um, items that were there, the lamps down the menorah there on the bottom, um, the, the, the door. Which was on the side of the tribe of Judah, uh, very significant in itself. The only way into the tabernacle was through the tribe of Judah, obviously speaking of Jesus. Every part of this speaks of Jesus. Uh, The table of showbread, where there was twelve loaves, one for each of the twelve tribes. This golden uh, altar, um, which the writer of the Hebrews makes the point that it was actually inside, the other side of the curtain, the other side of the veil. Uh, We talked about that a little bit last week, and then of course in the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant itself, with these angels and spreading their wings over the top. Uh, Outside, in the bigger area of the courtyard. Uh, There was the laver or this big bronze bath, basically. And there was the altar of sacrifice where most of these offerings we'll talk about were brought and they were offered up. Um, So when we look at these offerings that have just been mentioned there. um, So verse eight, it says above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin The reference there takes us back to Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, there's uh, five chapters really that start the book off that detail five specific offerings that the children of Israel were to bring. Now, no surprise, every one of these speaks of Jesus. In chapter one of Leviticus, we have detailed the burnt offering. Chapter two, we have the meal offering, or the grain offering as it's sometimes called. Chapter three was the peace offering, uh, which typically would be a dove. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, And those three really uh, speak about the person of Jesus Christ. They were sweet savor offerings. They were things that were pleasing to God. And then we have the next two, which really speak of the work of Christ, of like the non-sweet savor ones. Um, And in chapter 4, verse 5, or still to chapter 5, verse 13, uh, we have the sin offering described. And we'll talk about this in a moment. And in chapter 5, is the trespass offering. Okay, so just going through the burnt offering, was offered willingly and it was at a cost. Uh, it had to be a male without blemish. Uh, there had to be this personal identification, they had to lay hands on it and kill it. Uh, and again, that laying on of hands, we've talked about this a number of times, uh, is that designation of one to take your place. And we see examples in the New Testament where people step out in ministry and they lay hands on them. It's exactly the same idea. Now you think about what kind of impact would that have? Well, you understand if you're laying hands on that you are identifying yourself with this one that's taking your place and there's that personal connection um the idea of atonement which we, again we're looking at here in hebrews 4 uh is to to cover uh, and it was just a temporary covering this this offering all looking forward ultimately to jesus but it's interesting because with the burnt offering the blood that was shed was to be sprinkled, we're told. Now we may kind of in our vernacular not quite understand the, the import of that. What it's the idea is it was to be scattered abundantly in large quantities. That's the idea. Why? Well, the whole idea is that the one that's offering this sacrifice literally will become sprinkled or covered in the blood of the one that was sacrificed okay of the the animal in the case of the the sacrifices so the offerer is being is sprinkling his blood and they can become covered in that blood it creates a lovely picture of us as believers that we are to be sprinkled not in a in a, a little sprinkling kind of way we, we downplay that in our understanding but the idea is literally covered i mean we're not talking about a little sprinkle imagine kind of a hose spraying that's kind of the idea actually covering the individual now, when you go on to the uh, burnt offering, interestingly, it was typically a pigeon uh, that was to be used. Um, the, uh, the the word is uh, ben yor, uh, in the, the Hebrew, it's the sons of the dove. Uh, again, a male was required, and again, the dove symbolizes peace. Now, a dove, of course, we recognize is very pure, very gentle, and yet here it's subject to great violence. Um, Isaiah 53 9 just speaks of Jesus and says because he had done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth Jesus in the same way he he was not guilty of any crimes he'd done nothing wrong and yet this great violence is done to him just as was pictured in this offering which was given some uh, 1400 years before the cross the feathers of this offering were also to be removed um, so that this uh, bird would be completely exposed uh, it speaks again of jesus and what happened on the cross uh, the bird was to be cleaved they would divide it they would kind of tear down the center of it but not a bone of it was to be broken again speaking of of jesus that on the cross not a bone of him was broken the meal offering uh typically this fine flour uh it speaks again of the person of jesus jesus in john six forty eight, said i am the bread of life uh, again that flower had to be even with no lumps so it had to be ground out so there was nothing uh, lumpy and bumpy about it uh, and again it just speaks of jesus he was the perfect man perfectly balanced there, there was nothing wrong in him as a person that you could think of or point to or imagine uh, jonathan edwards commented once he said uh, he that sees the beauty of holiness or true moral good sees the greatest and most important thing in the world it's a great statement you know that actually if we understand just how important a holy is being holy and the holiness that we can know and experience through jesus just his perfection his holiness just the most amazing thing accompanied with this was obviously oil uh, with the grain and that oil speaks of the holy spirit uh, in the life of jesus um of course the, this bird was to have oil upon it while jesus of course was baptized in the spirit it was to have oil mingled with it. Well, Jesus was, of course, born of the Spirit in that sense as well. Uh, and there were pour oil on it. Uh, and that, idea, again, has that kind of idea of being led of the Spirit with oil, again, acted by the Spirit. Uh, Chuck Misler made this comment. He said, this offering will point, oh, sorry, no, the top, uh, there will be striking similarities with the burnt offering. But the difference here is that this class of offerings focuses more on the results and the reception of Christ's sacrifice rather than the manner of it this offering will point to the peace which brings all believers into communion or koinonia with the father by the holy spirit through the lord jesus christ so that's the first three offerings let me go on to the sin offering now again it's interesting because we've got two, uh, the types that are being here the sin offering had to be young of course with jesus we know was young when he was crucified uh, it had to be a bullock which symbolically speaks of a servant it had to be without blemish with jesus we know knew no sin uh, there had to be that laying on of hands again that designation of one to take your place and then we think of the actual offering itself the blood was sprinkled seven times toward the veil seven in scripture always speaks of being complete the veil speaks of that separation that existed between us and god so the shed blood is complete in addressing the issue of our separation from god that's the symbolism that's being played out here now the blood was also to be placed upon the horns that were on the altar horns by definition they just speak of strength you think of a a creature that has horns and use it to to exert their strength and power and so on and it speaks of the strength of the lord and so the blood is put upon or yielded to the strength of the lord uh, in this uh, and again the life is surrendered to the mercy or the the strength the sufficiency of god that's the, again the picture and that blood poured out on the ground now, the last one is a trespass offering, um, and it 's just interesting to compare the sin offering and the trespass offering it 's quite insightful really. Um, the sin offering, and this is why this is important and why I 'm sharing it now because you'll see what we're going to go into in a second, um, but the sin offering deals with specific and unintentional sin, okay so it's something that was done very specific but not intended. The trespass offering deals with unspecific An unintentional sin. Okay, so it was like a general uh, offering, trespass offering. Sin, as we've kind of said before, it comes from that uh, old English archery term. Uh, It just means missing the mark. Uh, That's our understanding of it. Um, So sin is simply missing the mark or the parameters that have been set. Um, trespass again has the idea of crossing the line so those those two things and and both these offerings either for a specific unintentional sin or for unspecific unintentional but what you'll notice there there is no offering for intentional sin there was nothing in the Torah that made provision for intentional sin in fact quite the the opposite there was judgment pronounced for intentional sin and we'll see that played out in a second we'll come back um, to those verses in a moment so, verse 9, we pick up. Uh, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And it says, He takes away the first that he may establish the second, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. These statements are just wonderful. And we're going to come back to these kind of things in a moment because. Notice the context. I'm going to show you in a second how much this is referring to us. Okay. Now, in the context, when I say us, the writers, the people, the, the people that um, the writer was writing to, the audience. This is who he's being ad- who is being addressed. It says, "By the which will w- uh, sorry, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all." It speaks of us being set apart once and for all. Now we're going to come on to that challenging portion of scripture in a moment when we get to verse 26 onwards. Uh, it's one of the recognized kind of hardest portions of scripture but one of the reasons for that is because it's taken out of context. It's taken as a standalone block of verses and it's not taken as the the, 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 the flow of what we're seeing here. we we've just been told here that the blood of bulls and goats was insufficient to purge our conscience to take away our sin. But then we're being told that Jesus is absolutely able to purge our conscience to take away our sin. Okay? He's taken away that first, again, verse 9, so that he can establish a better system, a better testament, a new covenant, verse 10, again, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And then we're given this reference um uh, in verse uh, eleven um, to the the way the priests ministered, and he says there and every priest standing daily uh, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins it's really just hammering the point, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin for sins forever, just think about the magnitude of that for a second. The Christ sacrifice was once and forever. In that one offering of Christ Himself on the cross, He covered sins forever. Okay? And He sat down at the right hand of God. He didn't have to keep ministering, He didn't have to keep going back and re offering sacrifices the priest did. And verse 13 carries on From henceforth, expecting till His enemies be made a footstool. Now, that's a reference to Him seated at the right hand of God. So Jesus is sat at the right hand of God, and why is he still there? Why hasn't he come back and sorted the mess out that's in the world today? Well, this is the the answer to that question: Why is God delaying? Why is it that um we are in a situation that the Lord is tarrying and we, we'd all love Jesus to come back right now, Would't we it would be wonderful? It'd be just just great, but he's not, and he hasn't done yet and this is the reason because he's waiting until all his animal enemies be made his footstool. God is doing this great work and God is uh, getting the world ready and even this whole pandemic that we're experiencing at the moment is all part and parcel of what God is doing. This is part of God getting the world ready. Now I think it's interesting you know how this has just shaken the whole world. Something in a sense so simple that it's brought the financial systems to, to, to chaos, and our daily lives, you know, are just just so disrupted by something so simple. And you start to look at what we read in Revelation of what is coming, and you you know, the enormity of those things, the way they're written, sometimes seems very distant, very remote. It almost like, oh, it wouldn't be that bad. Well, hopefully now people are starting to realise that when we get to those events that are recorded in Revelation chapter 6 particularly, you know, the earthquakes, the pestilence, the famine, the wars, it is absolutely going to shake the world. That's why you're going to have people from all sorts, from, from rulers and kings and uh, and politicians down to uh, you know, the average workers and everybody will be trying to hide from the wrath of God. They'll be trying to get into the rocks and the holes in the earth. You know, it, it's one of those verses that seems so remote from where we are with our lives and yet suddenly we're plunged into a situation now where we're starting to go you know what actually i can see that happening i can see how the world could get to a place where everything just 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 falls apart and again it's something that um, bible prophecy students and, and commentators have said for many many years you know based upon what we see in scripture we're going to come to a place where cash will cancel Uh, it's no secret and you know that we're going to get to a system for buying and selling that you need a particular mark now the good news for the church for us as believers is we'll be out of the way before that happens but the reality is that's coming well how close are we now i was listening to uh, amir safati the other day uh, and a a thing he put up online this week um, with um, uh, the pastor from cavern chapel in rome uh, and also barry stagner a cavern chapel pastor from america um, and they were talking about the whole situation, but they were saying one of the interesting things that's coming out of this uh, is the fact that people are already talking about getting rid of cash because the the danger of transmitting uh, disease from cash uh, is obviously quite a serious problem. Whereas if you've all got kind of contactless cards and you can pay that way, then nobody's really touching anybody or there's no communication of those disease physically. So, you know, it's interesting how this already and given that the, the mess the financial systems are in already with, with this situation uh, is leading us even closer to a situation where cash will cancel and it's all setting itself up for these big end time events. So coming back to this verse, such an applicable verse for, for, uh, for us right in the, the situation, verse 13, for henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So Jesus is at the right hand of the father waiting while all these things are going on. But he's getting ready. He's getting ready to return to this earth to rule and reign and to claim it as his own. And we are getting so close. The signs of the times are all around us now. Okay, verse 15. Um, um, Verse 14. So for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also uh, is uh, a witness to us. Now, just the context is speaking to us, talking to believers, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their, and in their minds and I will write to them. Okay, so God, just speaking of that agreement, we talked about this last time, that this new covenant, although we to refer to it as the New Testament, but this new agreement that God has put in place, it's where he puts into us something that was not there before. And that is the ability to obey him, to serve him, and to walk by faith, not by sight, to live above the situation? that we are told that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus? Okay, so again, the, the old covenant couldn't do anything about the inside. Okay, there's already been alluded to the conscience and all those things. Couldn't do anything about that. Whereas when Jesus is putting this new covenant in place, it's not only an external thing and the reality that our judgment uh, we, we will no longer be judged because christ took our punishment uh, in our place that's all true but in addition to that we are given the holy spirit and when the holy spirit indwells believers he gives us the ability to live our lives in a way that is honoring and pleasing to god it's supernatural it's called grace there are times, and you may have experienced this as a believer, that you're in a situation that you're very stressed and, and you know, challenging, and I'll be honest with you, there was a situation at home yesterday, uh, I was trying to get all these things sorted out, trying to figure out the technology, uh, I had a, a, an old piece of equipment I was going to use and that broke and I couldn't find the power supply, and you know, so it was just one of those kind of stressful environments. And then a very rare occasion, but I had one of my children that um, was disobedient, it doesn't often happen I'm sure you, you know, um, and, and I needed to discipline, and at that point, I felt really, you know, you just, as, a, as a parent, you just have those moments, and I, I was very conscious that I didn't want to, to do anything that was not right, and suddenly, I found myself acting with grace. And it was it was almost like it was I was in kind of the third person, and I found myself speaking in a very gentle and a very calm way, and I just knew it was of the Lord. It wasn't natural; it was something that was was beyond and above my natural ability. Naturally, I'd I have just just got really cross. I didn't, and it was God's grace. And this is the one of the ways that God works in us through His Spirit. Okay, so He He puts this this law into our hearts and into our minds. This is the, the wonder of what he does. Okay, um, uh, verse 17, and again, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now, we've said a number of times, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sin, all of it, all the stuff that is yet future, all the stuff that's happened, all the sins of the whole world is all paid for in one go. He's the, John tells us in First John, he's a propitiation or payment in full for our sins and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. It's all done, it's paid for. People need to accept it. If they don't accept it, it doesn't help them. Okay. If I buy you a ticket to go and see an event, which won't happen these days because we're not allowed to go to events, but hypothetically imagine I did, that ticket means nothing unless you actually take it and go. Okay? In the same way. The salvation that Jesus has paid for, the the, the, the payment for our sin has already been covered. Okay, but unless we avail unless we put our trust in Jesus, it doesn't help us. But, verse 17 again, that their sins and iniquities, God says, they're wiped away. They're gone. And it says, verse 18, now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There doesn't, doesn't need to be a continual sacrifice, as there was under the Jewish system. Verse 19, having therefore brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. Now, that's a, something that the Jews would never have done, that have never gone behind the curtain. They were frightened of what might happen if they did. But it says, you know, we've got this boldness. That blood was effectively sprinkled on the curtain. It speaks of the the offering of Christ being sufficient. And that curtain, as we know, was torn in two. So it says, we now know that we can go into that place that the priests were fearful of treading. We can go in boldly to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And it says, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. I was speaking about his priestly role and responsibilities. And then it says, verse 22, let us draw near. And the, the idea in the, the, uh, the Greek here is let us continually draw near. This isn't a one-off thing. It's let us continually keep onwardly drawing near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I love that you might miss that if, you, if you're if you not familiar with Leviticus and the things that apply. We mentioned a bit about sprinkling earlier, okay, and the, the idea of that. And it says, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. Well, the Bible says that the, the human heart is wicked, it's deceitful, okay? It's incurable is what Jeremiah tells us. Well, we have a new heart creating me a new heart oh god is what david prayed and so this heart is sprinkled with that blood it's washed in that blood that atones for sin and it's because of our bodies washed now just as those sacrifices were uh sprinkled uh, the, the, their blood was sprinkled and their bodies were washed and so on as they were offering these various offerings, the trespass offering and the um, um, sin offering and so on, they, they would take the parts of these animals that were being killed and they would literally just wash the parts of the body under running water. What well, it speaks of us in that way It's almost as if it's saying that we have been offered up as a sacrifice to God that is completely clean and acceptable and pleasing to God now because the sin has all been dealt with. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Notice again, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he that is faithful, sorry, for he is faithful that promised. So many promises through these verses. But verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. There's so many references here um, to the the people he's writing to as being you know the ones in view that, that, that we are the ones who have been saved, delivered, washed, cleansed. that He is our high priest. You know, this, this is not written to unbelievers. This is written to believers. And then we get to a kind of interesting verse given this morning. Uh, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. And yet, as um, Stephen Green from Christian Voice pointed out, that uh, what Hitler and maybe Darwin and Stalin and many others have tried to do for many, many years or you know, in their times, they try to stop the church. Uh, they try to, you know, next year, and others, you know, through history, various atheists and antagonists and Dawkins and so on, they'd love to stop the church meeting. Well, this virus has kind of almost done that, hasn't it, in one fell swoop. Um, you know, today, I doubt there's very many churches that are meeting together. And yet we have a verse here that we're studying this morning that says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some well praise god that we have the technology that we do have that we can still meet in this way that we can still share together we can still pray together we can still worship the lord together we can still study his word together and although there's physical distance you know through this technology we can meet together uh, and it's so important that we don't allow this situation to be one that would stop us meeting together it says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exalting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Well, this virus is just another indication that a day is approaching. So if you wanted another reason why we should carry on with our meetings, why we should do everything we possibly can to keep our fellowship, to keep our uh, opportunities to encourage and uplift each other, uh, we need to keep this going um yeah we see the day approaching that's the reason we're doing this because we haven't got time to sit on our laurels and say well we'll wait till it all passes you know we don't know what's going to be next we don't know what the next step is we don't know how long it's going to be until the lord comes back and takes us home to be with him and then we get to this challenging portion of the text so these are the. I hope you can see that now. These are the kind of notes I just scribbled down this morning. Uh, if you just look at the yellow, every yellow highlight is reference to we or to us or to to them that are sacrificed. We're speaking to the, the the heroes. You can see how much of this chapter is all speaking about this particular group. It's not speaking of unbelievers. so just the yellow. If you just look at the highlighted bits, you know, that's the the group that is in reference here. Um, so you know, we're going to come onto this this portion now okay so if we sin willfully after that we've received the knowledge of the truth there remains no more sacrifice for sins okay now i want to just share something else with you so just again bear with me as i share this okay now back in numbers if you remember i mentioned this a little while ago i'm just gonna read from numbers 15 and if any soul sin through ignorance okay So if you sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she goat of the first year for a sin offering. And we talked about the sin offering earlier. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly, when he hath sinned by ignorance before the Lord, to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. And then verse 30, and this is interesting but the soul that doeth aught presumptuously whether he be born in the land or a stranger the same reproacheth the lord and that soul shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the lord and has broken his commandment that soul shall utterly be cut off his iniquity shall be upon him how are we to kind of understand this in the context uh, of what we've been talking about well it's interesting uh, once again because this verse is saying to us um, that if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth there remains no more sacrifice for sins we can't say this is referring to non-believers it's very clear and i just showed you those highlighted bits a moment ago this is clearly speaking to believers it says if we sin willfully so the possibility has to be there that we could sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth now maybe the author had in mind that in writing this he was highlighting the reality the truth and so that once they had read this they wouldn't been in a position to say they didn't know and of course the challenge here was that the people were returning to Judaism returning to a sacrificial system which clearly has already been identified can't help won't help has been replaced and actually to go back and offer sacrifices is is making a mockery of what christ accomplished because he did it once for all and so we have to understand this is referring to potentially believers if we sin willfully after we've received a knowledge of the truth it says there remains no more sacrifice for sins or or, or another way of putting that Uh, if we intentionally set out to sin because that's really what it's saying. Knowing what is right and what is wrong, remember that there is no other sacrifice available. There's nowhere else you can turn. Now, let me try and give you an example of this so that we can just get some clarity. I'm guessing, um, and I know probably the ladies, it doesn't happen to you, but for men, maybe on occasions this could have happened. Uh, you're driving along a road and you find yourself going slightly over the speed limit. Okay? You've broken the law, but it was unintentional. There might be other occasions that you're driving along and you're late and you kind of know that you're going over the speed limit, but you're still going to do it because you want to try and get there. Of course, it doesn't really help. And uh, as a, a recent uh, participant of a driver awareness course, um, they explained to us how it doesn't help and it doesn't solve any problems and we shouldn't do it at all. So, um, but it's a very different situation. If before you leave your house, you have the intention of going out and breaking the law by speeding. Now, the, the the first two examples, one of them is through ignorance, okay, which is covered by the law. The the second example is in a sense through weakness. Now, it's interesting. The Anglican Church used to have a prayer. I'm sure some of you are familiar. Uh, used to pray, that you know, the Lord would, would forgive us for uh, our sins, for for um, um, for weakness. Oh, uh, sorry, I'm just on the wording now. Um, 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 through weakness, uh, through our own deliberate fault, what's the first one? Uh, go right sorry, start again. So the prayer is that we would be forgiven for ignorance and weakness and through our own deliberate fault. so you can kind of list those three things. Now, those first two that I mentioned really fall into the first two categories that actually sometimes we sin through ignorance. sometimes we sin through weakness. Now, if you are late for something and you're speeding because the result of that is actually through weakness it's sometimes through a lack of trust or confidence it's because you're worried about what might happen It's a fear thing that creeps in now technically under the law both of those are covered but the last one if you if you were to set out intentionally to break the law that's the real problem and that's what i believe that the writer here is trying to allude to uh, and saying if you sin willfully it's not because we all know that we have sinned willfully we've done things and we knew when we were doing it that it was wrong but there's a big difference in setting out at the beginning of that day with the absolute intention of doing something that you knew was wrong. You see, it's almost premeditated. It's different when you're in the moment and you know you do something wrong and you know it's wrong. That's different than starting out with a premeditated intention of actually going out to cross that line. And so I believe what the writer is saying to here, just as it was under the law, there were the, the sins for ignorance and so on, they were all covered. But any sin that was not that was that was a, a presumptuous sin, as it's referred to uh, in Numbers and Leviticus elsewhere, those sins they were met with punishment. They were met with death in certain cases. That they would actually take the, the individual out, and he would be stoned, or they would, but whatever um, various methods. But normally stoning was the, the, the kind of key one. Um, but those individuals would be cut off from the people. What would happen as a result of that? They would lose their inheritance they would also be cut short in their time now and their opportunity to earn rewards there's all sorts of implications that come into this okay Um, and again that idea is there isn't another option you don't jesus died once on the cross he paid for our sin he paid for all sin and in the light of eternity all sin is covered everything is covered we've seen that we've gone through it in recent weeks many many times that you know (laughs) let me just share with you a, a funny anecdote i heard Apparently, there was somewhere in America, um, there was a convent. And outside the convent, uh, it says, um, no trespassing at all. Uh, and underneath that, it said, uh, any, tresp- any, any individuals found trespassing, uh, the, the full force of the law will be brought into play, um, and then so on. that's the implication of what the notice said, that you will be punished if you trespass. And it was signed by the Sisters of Mercy. Uh, which is kind of ironic in a sense. Um, the The thing here, we've got this, this whole book has been speaking about how great Jesus is, how great a deliverer, how complete the work, how our salvation is eternal because he purchased, it, he did this work. And now we've got this reference, we can't suddenly switch gears and say, well, this is now saying you could lose your salvation. Because the the, the the point has been made so clearly and so uh, completely that the work of Jesus on the cross accomplished all that it needed to, to purchase, to forgive us, and to give us an eternal uh, relationship with God that can never be broken. So to this we can't then turn around and say, well, it must be speaking about losing your salvation. Because sadly, people that just take this block of verses on their own, that's often the conclusion they reach. Okay, But it says, verse 27 but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries you know what if you intentionally set out if somebody truly even as a believer gets to a place and they say you know what i don't really care about you know pleasing god or doing what god wants and they set out to do something that they intentionally know is wrong what it's saying is there's gonna come a loss of reward, without doubt. There's gonna come judgment. And we read in First Corinthians three that when we stand before the Bemis seat or the judgment seat of Christ, many individuals will have everything they've done burnt up. They will suffer loss, we're told. Now that's the context, that's the fire that's that's being referenced here. And then this comparison again he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses right if if you rejected the law of moses there was punishment that there, there wasn't a, a way out you couldn't just bring an offering it was okay again no there was there was consequence in now in in this this realm as we are now verse 29 uh, how much sore a punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the son of god and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing i mean it's it's a horrible thought that somebody who has understood what Christ has done could ever come to a place where they want to live their lives as effectively an unbeliever even though they know the truth even though they've had that relationship they've seen God's goodness God's grace they get to a place they want to walk away from that now there are believers I believe even I I know some and they trouble me immensely that they seem to be able to live a life just devoid of God, and yet in their hearts, I know they love God, and I've seen fruit in times past. You know, we we use a phrase sometimes about backsliders, and I think sometimes we get very confused about what we really mean by that phrase. You know, there are definitely categories of those that have not been saved, that seem to show some sort of uh, spiritual growth. Matthew 13 gives us the kind of analogies, the the, the sower and the, the soils and so on. You know, there's certainly some individuals that are not saved, that seem to show fruit, and then they wander back in the world, okay? That's one category. They're not saved in the first place. Uh, And then you get those, uh, that, like we're talking about here, that seem to be walking with the Lord, that genuinely were saved, we've seen fruit, but then they... They reject things of God, and this is addressing that. And it's a real warning. If you remember in our opening um, studies of this, we looked at those five warnings. This is the fourth warning uh, that we have in the book. And let me just give you those warnings again. The first one is the warning of drifting. The second one, the warning of disobedience. The third warning, the failing to mature. This one is the warning about willful sin, and then the last one we we'll get to in chapter twelve is a warning about indifference. So Moses gives us, oh, oh, sorry, the writer gives this example of how it was with Moses. You know that was how the law of Moses was. Don't think you are going to get away with things just because you you put your faith and trust in Christ. It's still uh, an expectation, and you can't just live how you want and just reject the work of Christ if you've come to that place of knowing His grace already. Um, And then verse thirty: For we know Him that has said, "Vengeance belongs unto Me; I will recompense," says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let me just share you one last uh, slide. Um, Okay, so this was uh, uh, from Chuck Nisler's uh, study on this. And uh, he simply said, "Uh, the judgment is physical, not spiritual. The nature of the judgment in this context means three things. One, it means physical death. Now, I, I do know individuals that have died what would seem to be before their time Because they have been in a place of seemingly uh, rebellion. Uh, It's possibly the the wrong word to use. But in a place where they had rejected um, that walk with the Lord. Not that they uh, had totally turned away from Christ. They never got to the place of denying who who he was, what he'd done. But their lifestyle certainly didn't match up to it. So, the, again, this, this context here means physical death. It means the physical death in this context of those that the writer is writing to that died in the judgment of AD 70. Because those that went back under the law, the sacrificial system, as was being warned about here, uh, ended up getting caught up in that judgment. Three, it means the loss of rewards in the next life, as we've already mentioned. So, here again, the background is that for some sins there was no sacrifice. Now, the principle is that while for the believer all sins are forgivable for eternity, not all sins can be rectified in this life. Okay, so um I hope that kind of clarifies or hopefully helps to understand that. Let's just run to the end of the chapter. Um, but call to remembrance the former days. Now, this is where very much we've seen before in chapter six, this has kind a of similar passage. And then now we're just going to get that, that the, the player of the chapter should be saying, Look, I expect better things from you. Alright, and so because of remembrance, the former days in which after ye were illuminated, clearly saved in, in the context, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. It's like look, what you've already gone through, you've done this already, partly while you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used for ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joy joyfully the spoiling of your goods knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance now this is the key to the chapter to me it's all about the rewards that are there it's about hanging in there holding on all the things you've endured already how could we get to the stage that we kind of give up on our walk with the lord you know, why would we want to do that when we know there's going to be rewards? We've got to hang in. You know, as we read in Galatians 6, a great portion of scripture, um, let me just read to you uh, in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. It's just what we've been reading. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not okay and in verse um, 35 uh, goes on and says cast not away therefore your confidence which is great recompense of reward hang in there church hang in there stay true keep trusting god keep walking with him never give up on the promises that he's made because he is always faithful and there is great reward awaiting you verse 36 for you have need of patience well we all have need of patience because a situation occurs that we weren't expecting and we get a little bit panicky about it don't we we all have need of patience got to trust God got to wait for him he'll never leave us never forsake us that verse that Amita reminded of us the other week in the verse that she shared you know but it's true God never leaves us never forsakes us wherever we go but you have need of patience that after you've done the will of god you might receive the promise there you go two consecutive verses speak of the promise speak of the reward this is what the writer to the hebrews is saying you know yes there's the danger that you could get into a place where you just get fed up with god because you don't things don't go the way you thought they would well like, hold on don't don't give up on god god is faithful god will never leave you he'll never forsake you he'll never abandon you and there is great reward. Hang on, because it's coming. So, and then we have this great ending to the verse, or to the chapter, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. That's a quote um, from the book of Habakkuk. And then we have the remainder of the quote, now the just shall live by faith. And that verse that's in Romans, that's also in Galatians, echoed here, again I believe by Paul, just simply just reminding us, this is how we live we don't live by the things we know or we understand we live by faith but if any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in him says god but we are not of them again it ends with a we but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them uh, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul you know that's the group that we want to be part of you know those who are not only born again but growing in grace becoming pleasing to our lord by the way we live by putting him first in all things by seeking first the kingdom of god and his righteousness there we go this is bow father thank you for this opportunity this morning thank you for your word lord help us to be mindful of the reality that we have to be careful of how we live our lives we can't just be flippant we can't be blase we can't carry on thinking that there is no consequence Because, Lord, your word makes it clear there is consequence for how we live. Lord, it doesn't affect our salvation that is secure in you, that is complete. It's an eternal salvation. It's the work that you have accomplished. And we thank you for that. And yet, Lord, at risk is our time here. And it's also the rewards that we will inherit in eternity. And so, Lord, for these things that are so close now, Lord, we are so close to your return. Father, please help us to live our lives for you, for your glory, but also, Lord, looking forward to those things that we will receive. Uh, Again, Lord, that one day we will be able to stand before your throne and lay our crowns at your feet. And so, Lord, just bless us, keep us safe, keep us close to you, we pray. Lord, protect us, our families. Lord, we pray for those that are sick amongst us. Lord, that your hand will be upon them. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus for your glory. Amen.